the ABC's Word Wizard, the Lord of Language. A word in your ear with Professor Rowley Sussex. Yes, it is that time of the day. The ABC's Word Wizard, Rowley Sussex, OAM, Emeritus Professor from the School of Languages and Cultures at the University of Queensland, is here willing and able to talk with you about words, language and linguistics. One three hundred triple two six twelve is the number you can call. That's one three hundred triple two six twelve. Professor Rolly Sussex, wonderful to have you back in studio. And the excellent news is, uh, we have yet more questions from some of our brightest young minds. Does it take you back to when you yourself was a you when you were a student, Rolly? Yes. Developing a love for language. Oh yes. But I think I, I had more of a lot of questions, but the, the teachers really were only teaching out of a closed book. Hmm. In other words, you know, all the rules were there, understand the rules, you'll be fine, that was it. Whereas these questions about the history of English, this is a very bright school. And they've come up with, with some really, really good questions, uh, which make you think a little bit. They do, don't they? Indeed, if you are a member of a school community and you think you've got some bright students who would like to put some questions to Rowley, well, all you need to do is get in touch and register your interest. You can call producer Rob Minchel on 1300 or send me an email. Just use the afternoon's email address. That's afternoons.brisbane at abc.net.au. Let's begin Let's. with Amelia Rowley, who is in Year 6 at St. Sebastian's Primary School at Yoronga, with a question that has puzzled me too, if I'm honest, puzzled me too for some time. Here she is. Hi, my name is Amelia. My question for you is, what is the point of silent letters in words? Yes! Great question, Amelia. What's the answer, Rowley? The short version is interesting. The long version would take several days. Okay. But the short version looks like this. First of all... With silent letters, they often show that we borrowed the word from somewhere else. So take the word psychology, mm. right? It starts with P-S. Now, we don't say psychology because there's no native English word that starts ps. It's too hard. So we just forget the first one and we just say psychology. And the same thing with pterodactyl, which is P-T, right? It's just pterodactyl, not pterodactyl, right? And with gnome, your garden gnome is gnomi. Right, we don't say the g. Right, and there's a whole series of words like that. These ones came from Greek, and when we borrowed them, English said, "Look, we we don't know that sequence of sounds. It's a bit hard. We'll just cut out the first one." And so well, that's what we've done all the way through. The Germans and the French and so on have borrowed the word and they've kept the pronunciation, even though that sequence of ps and p and so on is not part of their language. Fascinating. So they've that, that's that's one story. So um, then there's words like night. K-N-I-G-H-T. Mm. It used to be Knicht. And we know so because there's a modern German word, Knecht, which is related to it, and it means a lad. And Knicht used to be pronounced like that. The G-H was a H sound, right? And the, K, the K-N was K-N. But again, over time, English got, got funny about two consonants at the start of a word, and we just left the first one out. So N-I-G-H-T and K-N-I-G-H-T are now both pronounced night. And that's really an interesting story because uh, it's only part of it, but it you know it shows that English has kind of made things comfortable for people talking English. Ah, oh, Terry and Woolowin, have you been comfortable or uncomfortable with the silent letter, sir? Hello. Hello there. Uh, no, comfortable, mate. It's it's nice, and that's very interesting, actually. I sort of had a bit of an idea that's what it might have been mm -hmm. from other other languages. Yep. 
I, I heard you speak uh, two weeks ago, Professor Rowley, about uh, languages is a bit of a hobby of mine. Mm -hmm. And I heard you speak a couple of weeks ago, and I just missed out on talking to you because I, I must have rung too late, uh, about um, how to say hello to, to people and in, in general. And, and I had my ideas of that. Mm -hmm. And, and all that is... is uh, is to say hi and mm -hmm. a bit of a nod and a smile. Mm -hmm. I think uh, works in all different languages. Uh, well, it depends what you say and when you say it and who says it first. Uh, there are some cultures where the junior person is expected to show respect and will greet a senior person, and the senior person may then decide or not to respond. Okay, so that there are rules there. Hi is really, uh, it began in America and it's now taken over here. And probably, Kat, about 80% of the people who bring this program say hi. Yeah. An awful lot. Yeah, yeah. Co very common. Yeah. yeah. Hello, hello are in a minority now and probably diminishing. Okay. Um, then there's uh, morning and I ride a bike in the morning and, and sometimes you meet walkers and do with dogs and so on. And you say, morning. There's a kind of fraternity of the people who are out early, you know. So that's a nice way of doing it. Hi almost implies that you know them or have some existing relationship with them, all right? Whereas morning is, is okay for entire strangers. Um, so that's just a few of the ones we've got. Yeah. Uh, the, the one that I really like was Alexander Graham Bell when he invented the telephone. He was trying to work out what do you say when you pick up the phone? Oh. Because this was the first time yes. the phones had been there. And his first version was Ahoy, <laughs> which is very naval. Um, and after, after a while, I think they worked out that that was a little too loud and, and, mm. and in your ear and they came up with hello. But, you know, it, it is an interesting question because when you pick up the phone, you're not sure – whether the person at the other end will be known to you or not. And sometimes I get quite quite uncomfortable. They ring up and say, good morning, Roland. We have a policy which will interest you. Oh, boy. And I say, we have not been introduced and I'm not interested. Oh, you're very polite. Well done. Thank you very much, Terry. Yes, thanks, Terry. On ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland, 20 minutes past two, we're talking about language and linguistics with Professor Rowley Sussex. He's having a word in your ear and in the ears of our... Primary school students, mm -hmm. uh, this afternoon's questions are coming from St. Sebastian's School in Yoronga. I haven't quite finished with the silent letters. There's a lot Ooh, more. Go on. Well, the, the one that really is interesting is the final E, which we don't pronounce. So R-A-C-E, mm -hmm. all right? R-A-T-E is not rate. No, but it affects the letters elsewhere. Exactly. It? Okay. What? And this happened in, in the history of English. Those letters were there. They were part of the grammar and they were pronounced. And then gradually English lost endings. There's a few left over like children, oxen, brethren, things oh. like that. All right. Nowadays, we make plurals just largely with S hmm. or nothing mm -hmm. like sheep. Um, but they were there. And when their grammatical function went away, they gradually kind of repurposed and this is 14th, 15th century, it's a long time ago, so that they affected the sound of the preceding vowel. And what it does is it makes the vowel say its own name, which is a little odd. So mice, right, you've got the letter I, it's pronounced I, so M-I-C-E is mice. Um, rate, now if it was R-A-T, it's rat. R-A-T-E is rate. And the E makes the A say, what's my name? A. And that's the way it works. Dune as opposed to dun. Dun means dud colour. Dune is sand, all right? So the E makes the, the U letter say, my name is U, Dune. And that's a rather 
unusual sort of thing. The only one I know that's like it is in German, W-E-I-N and W-I-E-N. And W-E-I-N is Wein in German, and you take the second letter and pronounce it the English way, I. So W-E-I-N is Wein, which is wine. And W-I-E-N is Wien, which is Vienna. Yeah. Uh, the point you make on vowels is excellent because Liam has a question ah, about them. Yes. Hello, my name is Liam. Why are there only five vowels? Ah, there aren't only five. <gasps> bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum. First of all, we've got those ones because we borrowed the alphabet from the Latin language and those are the vowels that were available in Latin. So <laughs> we just took them over. Wholesale vowels going now, all of them wholesale. <laughs> get your vowels here, five uh, yeah, and five yeah. only. Discounted only today. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. However, there are in fact 14 in English. What? Yes. A-E-I-O-U, Rolly. Yes. I went to school. I done know my vowels. Well, listen to this. All because, right. first of all, Y is in there as well. Of course. Because Y can be a vowel. B-Y, mm. all right, by. Right. But if Y is before another vowel, then it's a consonant. So, yes. Right. So, in yes, Y is a consonant. But in by, Y is a vowel. So, that's six. But listen to these words, which have the vowel between B and T. And sometimes it's one letter and sometimes it's two written letters. And here we go. Beat, bit, bait, bet, bat, bot, butt, boot, bite, bout, and bert. And then we've run out of B's and T's, but there's put. And there's one more, which is the vowel in boys. All right, so that's 14. And then there's a vowel called schwa, S-C-H-W-A. And that is the unstressed vowel. So if you say... About the uh. We write it a, but we don't say a about, we say about. about. Right. Hmm. And if we have something on our bread, it's butter, and you, you write er, but you don't say butter, you say butter. And this uh vowel hmm. is never stressed, it's called schwa, and it's the most common vowel in English. And yet it's not in the rhyme you're taught at school. No, nope, it is a not. A, E, I, O, U, and sometimes Y. That's right. These are the vowels, and I'll tell you, you why. why. But you're telling me there's 14 vowels. There's 14 We don't even talk about the one that's used most often. That's right. And there Gosh. 14 are the most... If you look up... If you go to the web and just look English vowel system, you'll find lots and lots of writing about this. And what happened was, you see, that the English language had more sounds than were available in Latin. And so we had to do something else. Now, what do you do in a case like that? Well, you can invent an entirely new letter... And that was done with Russian. I'll tell you that another day. Or you can take an existing letter and put accents on it. Or you can combine the letters. And we, did, we basically did the third one. So, you know, E-A and O-U and so on give us all the rest of these. And we need them all to make the differences between the words I've given you. And to make new and wonderful words that we can then take and use and add to dictionaries, which goes to the heart of your question today in Birkdale. Good afternoon. Hello. Now you've got a great question for Professor Rowley Sussex. Yeah. Um, yesterday or thereabout, there was a announcement that VAX has been added to the yes. English Oxford English Dictionary. Mm -hmm. So the question is, when was the first time we started adding words to the pre-existing words? Okay. And the dictionary, I mean. Right. The dictionaries are really descriptions of what's going on. And the people who build the dictionaries, and there's three big ones in Australia as well, remember, there's the Australian 
Oxford and there's a Macquarie and there's a Collins. They watch very carefully and collect material from newspapers and public use of language and they look to see when a, la- when a word is actually gaining a lot of traction, that people are using it, understanding it and need it to refer to. And some words get into the diction very quickly. And one that did was SARS, S-A-R-S. That was the name of a potential pandemic that didn't happen around about 2008, nine, I think. And that got into the dictionary, I think, in a matter of 10 months or so. But usually words must take a lot longer than that before they, you know, they pop up in one place, people start copying, they spread around. They spread quicker now than they used to because of the Internet. But the dictionary makers still need to be sure that this is a word which is actually in current usage. It's not sort of marginal or local or dialectal or whatever. Right. And then they pop it in. Now, vax, of course, has been one of the words. Last year, the word was COVID. Um, and everybody talked about COVID. It even beat Donald Trump from, for, for citations on the Internet. I did a check. Yeah. Um, vax got in this year because vaccinations and so on. What's interesting is that it's a new spelling, V-A-X. And for some people, it's even V-A-X-X. Some people use that for double vaccination. And there are only two other words in English which have XX. And one of them is fax, which is really F-A-X, and you put another X on for fun. I faxed him a letter. And the other one is dox, D-O-X. And if you're doxing someone, you release documents onto the Internet which will put them, make them look ridiculous or uncomfortable or silly. Hmm. So there are there are now three words with sorry there are two words in the dictionary with xx, and there's vax which has just arrived and it's it's xx spelling is I think listed as non-standard something like that. So can you, can you run it in Scrabble, Rolly? Is really what we want to know. If it's in the Chambers dictionary, yes. I haven't checked Chambers because <laughs> that's the one the Scrabble people use. Right there you go. Excellent, okay, today. Thank you. Yeah, sorry. Yep, and, and, of course, there are lots of words in, say, Indian English, which are in common use in English in India, which have not yet made it into the general English that we use. One I really love is prepone. We've talked about this before, because you can postpone something by putting it off. You can prepone something by bringing it forward. Yes. Right? And that is so logical. It's using English bits. It's made a new word. It fills a gap. We should be using it, and we aren't. Oh boy, learning so much as ever on a Thursday afternoon here on ABC Radio Brisbane in Queensland. Just remember Thursdays are Words Days with your mm. guest, Professor Rolly Sussex. My name is Kat Feeney and uh, we are taking your questions, Rolly answering them, I'm taking them, and well as well as listening to the questions put to you, Rolly, by the students of St. Sebastian School at Yoronga. Uh, all this talk of dictionaries and I think... Uh, maybe about the same time as the first English dictionary was coming together, mm-hmm. uh, a gentleman in uh, England was writing plays. Ah. Shakespeare was mm. his name. Mm. And Charles has a question for you about right. him. Hi, my name is Charles. We don't speak the way people did in Shakespeare's time. Why did this change? Oof. Good one. Yeah. All right. First of all, in Shakespeare's day, there wasn't a standard English at all. Shakespeare himself came from uh, outside London and had a regional accent, uh, but there were lots and lots of different accents, and it was only a lot later that we started getting a kind of consolidated, authoritative English that people started to use and regard as being the standard. Now, Shakespeare died in 1616. And the sort of language that he spoke actually crossed the Atlantic to America in 1620 with the Mayflower. But over the following centuries, all sorts of things happened to English. First of all, it 
it soaked up a colossal number of words from the continent, especially French. And sometimes people uh, pronounce those the sort of French way, like a rendezvous, all right, which is a sort of ang- English version. Orders. Or, 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 oh, yes, orders, or horses duvers, as some people call them. Oui. Oui. Um, so that, that, that kind of introduced another set of pronunciations, and some people didn't know which way to pronounce things. Apart from, there was the dialect differences, and then there were differences between what was emerging as the right way to say something and the, and the wrong way. Now, do you say dance or dance? Dance, dance, I don't know. I you, swing about a bit. Yes, yeah, so do I. But, but basically dance is British, educated English and southeastern Britain. Everywhere and else South in Britain Australian. has dance and South Australia, <laughs> yes. But North America has dance. 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 Um, Australia tends to have R f- if you went to the right sort of school. Alexander Downer certainly has an R vowel. But dance is far more common. Now, in the in, in, nowadays, R is regarded as, well, was regarded as being upper class, you know, and dance was a bit sort of middle class and lower. It was the other way round in the 19th century. Oh, boy. And people would hire tutors who, you know, aristocratic young men who just graduated from Oxford and Cambridge to come and live in their house and help their children speak properly so that they wouldn't be regarded as provincial because that was something that people tried to avoid at all costs. And then the other thing was, of course, that English left England. And it took up root in Australia and New Zealand and South Africa and Jamaica and Bermuda and Canada and America and so on. Hmm. And all those places worked out their own way of pronouncing English, some of which nowadays in Australia, say, particularly from America, is starting to influence us a lot. So that a lot of American pronunciations uh, are now, or American words and so on, are becoming very much more common than they used to be. Uh, there are a few British ones, um, contribute and distribute, we're getting from the BBC. Why the Brits have decided to do this for contribute and distribute, I don't know. But it's certainly not, it wasn't a feature of our English. So English has been very good at absorbing things from the, the different sorts of English around it. And sometimes in Australia, we honestly don't know whether we should say research or research. Or I'm going to Fiji or Fiji, where you put the stress. It's really tricky. And we have to be, I think, fairly flexible about this and say they all count and they're all used by people we know and respect. So we'll we'll recognize them, even though I may prefer to say this my way. Well, staying with the the geographical aspect of your answer there, Rolly, Mm -hmm. I'll take you to the Gold Coast Ah. where we find Dan, Mm -hmm. who's wondering whether he's in or on the coast. Hello, Dan. Uh Good afternoon. Yes, um, I've always wondered why we refer to a place like the Gold Coast, which isn't an island. Mm -hmm. Why am I on the Gold Coast, but you are in Brisbane? Mm -hmm. Um, In is used for countries and for cities and for towns. But for a region like the Gold Coast, um, for some reason, historically, it just become established. So you're on the Sunshine Coast, you're on the Gold Coast, uh, you're on various coasts in America and so on. But uh, it's just, as far as I know, restricted to coasts where we know the name. Um, you know, for example, in the Pilbara. Now, Pilbara is a region in WA. You're not on the Pilbara. You're in the Pilbara. And so on is restricted, on, on is restricted for coasts and only ones that we seem to know well, I think. Thank you. 
Okay, there you go. Problem solved, Dan. Thank you very much. 25 minutes to three. My name is Kat. Professor Rolly Sussex is with you. Having a word in your ear. And Madison from St. Sebastian's Primary School at Yoronga has a question for you, Rolly. Here's Mm -hmm. Madison. Hi, my name is Madison. And why are there words that sound the same but mean different things? Ah, another good one. All right. There are, there are three sorts of words which fit into this category, and one of them is homophones. Now, homo is Greek, which means the same. All right. So homophone, same sound. And words which are homophones are spelt differently but pronounced the same. So that's one of the ones you're talking about. Words like um, night with a K and night without an, a K, right? And they historically were pronounced differently, knicht and nicht. And gradually over time, the the H sound was lost out of English entirely, and the K on, at the start of the word was lost as well. It was too difficult. And so you get K-N-I-G-H-T and N-I-G-H-T, and they are homophones. Right? They're spelt differently but pronounced the same. Or you've got um, court, C-O-U-R-T, part of a tennis court, say, and court, C-A-U-G-H-T. And once again, in history, they were pronounced differently. They had, And that's why the letters were there. But over over time, English has changed its pronunciation. A lot of the spellings, because of the dictionaries very often, stayed because people were used to writing it a certain way, even as the pronunciation shifted around. And so love, for example, is love in some sorts of song, singing and is love in north of England. And we know how to write it. We all write it the same, but we pronounce it differently. Or there's uh, bow, B-O-W and B-O-U-G-H. There are hundreds of these in English. And the reason is history moved on. Now, there's one other sort that I, I'd like to mention, which is the word bank. Now, bank is always B-A-N-K. It's always spelt the same. It's always pronounced the same. It's got two totally different sources, one of which is the place where you put your money, and the other is the edge of a river. And likewise with calf, C-A-L-F. Right? The calf, which is part of your leg, has historically nothing to do with the one that goes moo. Right? So these are homonyms. The nim bit comes from Greek, and it means a name. So these are same names, and they've got the same spelling, and the same pronunciation, but two totally different meanings because they come from different sources. Hmm. And dear old English strikes again and makes it hard for us. Well, from homophones and homonyms Mm. to hyper and hypo, and this question from Wes. Hello, Professor Sussex. My name's Wes. Where were the prefixes hypo and hypo derived from? When in doubt, blame either the Romans or the Greeks. (laughs) And this was the Greeks. Um, the Greeks were at the height of their intellectual creativity about the 4th, 5th century BC. And they invented a lot of the words which are currently used in medicine and so on. And hyper and hypo come from this period. And it's easy to remember because one of them means up and the other means down. And hyper is first in the alphabet, so it's higher. And hypo is later in the alphabet, means down. So hypothermia, hypothermia means you get cold if you fall into the Arctic and so on. You've got about four minutes before you freeze to death and you die from hypothermia. Whereas if you're in the desert and you get too hot and you haven't got enough water and you can't cool down, you have hyperthermia. And the trouble is that we pronounce these with the stress on the first syllable, hypothermia, and the second one, it's really difficult to know whether we have an O or an ER. And doctors, when they're dealing with patients who are brought into emergency, they pronounce these very carefully so that you know whether it's too much 
temperature or too mm-hmm. low temperature, right? But in everyday life, you'll just hear hypothermia, and a lot of people get them wrong. So you're dead right to ask for clarification, and that's what they are. Well done, Wes. Now, we'll take a couple more calls uh, before we ask for your final word on ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland to the Sunshine Coast now and Paul. Hello, Paul. Thank you for your patience. Paul? Hello, Paul. I think we've lost Paul. Uh, Let's take now then Graham, who is also on the Sunshine Coast. Hey, Graham. G'day, uh, g'day Catherine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a question which relates to a, a silent letter which should be silent but seems to have been invented. Mm-hmm. My, my question is about the, the increasingly used word Mark, M-A-R-Q-U-E, obviously a French word originally, yes. but now it seems that politicians and sports writers particularly talk about marquee mm-hmm. uh, players or marquee politicians, which mm-hmm. of course in my understanding, is a tent. So can you sort that one out for me? Okay, yes. Um, <laughs> Great one. Mark, M-A-R-Q-U-E, is the French word for a make of a car, something like that. So, no, there, there are some very expensive marks around, meaning there's Rolls Royces and what have you. Marquee, as you say, is a tent. Uh, but a marquee player, and that's where it all comes from, was a player who was so famous that when they were playing, they put their name up above the tent and, you know, today so-and-so is playing for such-and-such a team. Uh, it's a bit like, you know, Ronaldo in soccer and so on, or Messi. Uh, these are names which draw people. And so a marquee player was one who was so famous that people would actually know from the sign at the tent that he was, or she, but the, he in those days, uh, was, was performing. So that's where it's come from. And marquee, uh, it, it depends whether it's, it, it should be spelt differently as well. Well, it's, uh, it's good to hear that uh, somebody's interested in putting up tents for politicians nowadays, so that's a great step forward. <laughs> I dare not comment. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank okay. you so much, uh, Paul. Uh, Sid the Yachty, by the way, has suggested a final word. The past tense of William Shakespeare should be... What I was, Shakespeare. Ah, <laughs> very clever. <laughs> but yeah. of course, it is your last word that we're keen to hear, Professor okay. Rolly Sussex. This is from H.L. Mencken, who was an American journalist. He did a book uh, which he called The American Language. This was about 1921. And in those days, that was quite a sort of red rag to many bulls because it was saying, American is not just English. It's something different, and we know what it is. And his, his argument is entirely, it's so different, we're going to call it the American language. And uh, in Australia, a, a man called Baker wrote a book in 1946 called The Australian Language on the same kind of principle. Mencken said this, and it's an entirely different subject. For every complex problem, there is an answer that is short, simple, and wrong. Professor Rolly Sussex. A pleasure and a privilege, sir. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kat. You are on ABC Radio Brisbane in Queensland and you've been listening to Professor Rolly Sussex having a word in your ear. A big thank you to the students at St. Sebastian's Primary School for your excellent questions. Just a reminder, if you're a member of a school community and if you have some students who would like to put their questions to Rolly, then do get in touch. You can call now to register your interest on 1300 222 or you can send through an email to the afternoon's email address, afternoons.abc, uh, sorry, afternoons.brisbane at abc.net.au. On your radio and online. At home or on the road. This is ABC Radio.